Welcome back to Bourbon Glazed Nonsense, episode three, back by popular un- unpopular demand. You know, we lied to you last episode, we're going to lie to you again. We're going to keep it at that 45-minute mark, but see wherever it takes us. So stay tuned for an action-packed episode. Uh, we're going to go through the NCAA being canceled, not cancel culture, but the NCAA F canceling some of their seasons, some of their conferences, either going 100% canceled or in conference. Technology, we've got to talk about Creepmaster Flex Zuckerberg and his awesome awesome sunscreen application plus the twitter hack and what is bitcoin uh swooping into gaming gotta gotta look through those madden overviews there's gonna be some fire in this in this section so stay stay tuned for sure for that one and rounding off with the work from home in our life segment so enjoy Starting off with sports and uh, big hot topic, you know, uh, college football is supposed to be starting in the next, uh, you know, next month or so, typically end of August, but uh, cancel culture reigns supreme. And uh, let's talk about some of these uh, big conferences deciding to, you know, kind of alter their schedules or, or cancel, uh, cancel, cancel fall sports outright. You know, what detail, what's your, what's your read on this? So I, I, I like the move for in-conference play only, but then again, that also begs the question, like, are you like trusting your heated rivals more than you are somebody out of conference? So I think it also leaves teams like Notre Dame being like, what the fuck do we do? We're not part of a conference. Can we create our own? Can we join one for a season? So I think, I think there's a lot of confusion. I think the best thing, though, is... I feel like no matter what happens, you know Nick Saban is going to line up for at least 10 to 15 games. Even if he has to go red on white, he will line up his own team against himself and see if he can outcoach himself. Well, the SEC, the SEC has not made any official statement yet. So, so as far as the big, you know, Power 5 televised conferences, so far only the Big 10 and the Pac-12 have made any firm announcement. Um, and those two have only gone um, you know, conference only. The SEC, the ACC, and the Big Twelve are still TBD. The SEC, um, the FEC, SEC president actually uh, made a statement that he is committed to having football. Um, you know, spring football is not off the table, which I, I think may actually be a fair compromise when all said is done compared to um, some of the other alternatives. But I mean, if you look at if you look at some of the AA, the FCS schools, and and down to Division three, I mean, you look at the Ivies, the Patriot uh, Patriot League. Um, the CAA, those are all outright canceled. And then if you look down into uh, the Division Three ranks, <clears throat> most notably the NESCAC, who uh, you know some folks would arguably say is the SEC of New England Division Three football, um, has canceled all fall sports, which is an absolute tragedy, yeah. um, especially what? for the for the players and and the alumni like yours truly, who uh, who love to watch and and gamble on those uh, big action packed Division Three games. Yeah, but why, why do you have to limit to just the SEC of D3 New England? I think it's the SEC of all of New England football. I mean, is there is there a bigger <laughs> rivalry than 
Uh, you got to fill me in here. Colby versus Trinity is that the biggest rivalry? What, what, what's well? It's it's really it's Trinity. It's Trinity Wesleyan is is the mm. real is the real uh, the real heated rivalry. I mean, if you want to go up to Maine, you have the BBC, which is their uh, own little okay. internal rivalry. Uh, it's the uh, Bates Bates Boat and Colby. Mm. And then if you look at if you look more towards Connecticut, it's obviously Trinity Wesleyan. And then you know there's a healthy Trinity Amherst rivalry because you know for a few years. Those two schools were trading, uh, trading blows back and forth. Um, you know, obviously, objective third party here. You know, I have no, I have no dog in or, uh, or uh, bantam in the race, uh, to say the least. But yeah, it's it's real heartbreaking, especially you know you think about a guy who, uh, <clears throat> you know, going to going to school, going to a D three school, small t- small time school, not going there for football um, per se. You know, compared to like an Ohio State, Michigan, and you know that his his senior season is just done just absolutely canceled out of his hands. And these aren't guys who are going to come back for a fifth year or going to, or going to come back to uh, get more tape before the draft. But on the flip side, then you got the guys who are looking to, to play at the next level. And what does a year completely removed from football do for them? So it begs the question, like who, who does this, um, you know, distancing repercussions in, in football hurt more? Is it, is it the guys looking to, to go make money playing in the league and what this does to their marketability or the small town schools that, you know, this wasn't going to be a profession for them, but this was their last time ever putting on pads for most of them. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it really hurts. It hurts everyone. I think it hurts the the little guys a little bit more because even though, uh, even though some of the bigger schools might not be playing this year or might be limited, I think those guys at least were on nationally broadcasted games and have that coverage for at least one or two years and and I mean we've seen people people go through the you know a couple of years and be a breakout star and go straight into having these massive deals in in the NFL or even just get a shot right I'm thinking of Cardero Jones who let's let's be honest played like a game in a season and yes it was a big game that he won but <laughs> uh, but 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 the but the idea is still the same right he had very limited you know, coverage time, uh, nationally televised time, but that really didn't factor in. So I think the little guys suffer the most because although a little guy might break out once, I think if he breaks out two, three, four times over a given, you know, a given set of re- years, two or three years, that stock is way higher and means way more versus having two or three breakout games or even a breakout season at the lower level. Yeah, and I, I think if you look at the uh, look at that lower level, particularly the FCS, you know, was formerly known as Double A. Um, that's really a pool of just hidden talent and and unpolished gems. And and as of recording this, you know, there's about 128 schools that compete at the FCS level right now. 47 have their fall schedule completely canceled. So that's that's almost 40 percent of the entire subdivision, which is. You know, I mean, you look at the Power Five, and, and we're talking about just conference only versus um, versus yeah. interconference schedule. This is an entire, you know, almost half of the entire AA football uh, football schools just no football whatsoever. So yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a real tough swing, especially when you look at you know some of the more notable conferences like the Patriot League, which has you know Lehigh, Lafayette, and you look at the Ivy Leagues, which obviously you know is is the northeast kind of pinnacle for for football. I don't I don't think really anybody's uh 
paying attention to the A10 or, you know, I mean, there's Yukon, there's Buffalo, but it's almost from a, from a culture and a, and a history standpoint, you look at the Harvard Yale game, um, and you look at some of the rivalries and, and, and how that conference is always shaken up. And there's always one or two guys that get picked up on a roster. So it's, it's, it's real tough to see, especially at that level, just the absolute uh, void um, in the schools competing this year. I mean, where would we be without Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? That, exactly. That's, that's a painful <laughs> world I do not want to be a part of. That man has been the butt end of so many jokes, and he's clearly, you know, the biggest stat monster followed up by the biggest disappointment every other week in fantasy. So it, it's, I, I think, I think, you know, I don't want to be that guy, but I think the fans are going to hurt a lot, obviously, not having that. But I think in the long term, the the biggest pain will be felt by the little guys in the smaller conferences. I mean, could you could you imagine if Ryan Fitzpatrick's football career was ended by social distancing? And yeah. if he if he couldn't go on to be Fitzmagic and had to slum it as a chemical engineer, you know, in a shock <laughs> tube lab discussing yeah. different lattices of new materials in in his um, corner office, you know, no concussions. I mean, it, I, I feel I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, no, that's a that's a tough life. But that's the thing is like we as a public would miss out on Fitz, you know, on Fitz magic. Who you think Jameis Winston is going to steal all of Deshaun's Jackson's chains and do a press conference? Hell no. He's too busy robbing the nearest nearest grocery store for, for crab legs. So, that you know, we, we miss out on a lot of great content. But I, I think I think what what we can we can all end up saying is 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 the worst part of this all and I think the hardest part is going to be down the road to the NFL draft. What do you do as a general manager and a head coach? I honestly think Bill Belichick and some of the you know the the more cunning coaches are going to have a field day in that draft because they have that ability to find those, you know, diamonds in the rough. And I think the diamond in the rough patch is going to be so much larger because there's going to be so much less tape. So I think I think this is where our professionalism and expertise and and potentially our niche as a mm-hmm. podcast really stems. You know, there's there's plenty of podcasts covering Ohio State and 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 the Big Ten and Alabama. What if we become the podcast, the number one rated podcast for all Division Three schools? We cover Division Three across the table. There's like five times as many schools as there are in the FBS, but I think we own that. We need to we need to find that one guy, that white receiver that runs a four nine four, but damn, he's he's a he's a gym rat. He's a gym rat. Got a lot of heart. He yeah. might be the coach's son, but he deserves to be MVP. <laughs> so what what you're really looking to do is have Bill Belichick, and I, I don't know who else is I, – I can't imagine who else would actually listen to this. Maybe Bill Belichick's son. Just listen to our podcast rather than watch tape because we're the ones watching <laughs> the tape and condensing it down for him. That's really what we need. We just need one or two starlight picks that, you know – become big stars in the NFL six years later and then we can turn back after a podcast is long gone and just be like, wow, we, we, we did something. We really did it. What I really want is an excuse to recreate the scene from Friday Night Lights where uh, Tim Riggins, Billy Riggins, Tim Riggins' brother was drinking beers outside a high school football game and tossing beers out to the running backs. 
but I want to do that without getting arrested. So I thought that D3 football was a nice middleman. It's, yeah. you know, it's shitty football. It's not good football. But, like, everyone there is theoretically, like, of legal age to, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get arrested doing something. Yeah. No, that's, that, that's, that's, a, it, it's, the, the, the only downside I see to this is that, and, and maybe it's not a downside, I think we need to, you know, not to not to steal from pardon my take here, but we we do kind of like what, what's their their uh, week out in California or their week or two where they just do pod, you know, interview after interview. We oh, in the, the bus, yeah, thing. in the bus, we take a bus, and once obviously you know coronavirus and D three schools are playing it, we just watch game after game after game and log mile after mile and we do interviews with i don't know the center of a d3 school and just be like hey my guy 30 people listen to this podcast mostly our friends and family but (laughs) you know we think you're the next big center let's let's do this now you know hop on we'll interview you and we'll look at this great just give us 10 percent of your signing bonus (laughs) in in the spirit of embracing corona culture we obviously have to do these interviews in masks, but can they be mm. Bane? Can they be Bane masks oh. from uh, from yeah. Dark Knight Rises? Oh, it's it's perfect. You do the Bane mask, and I have a Batman mask outside. I'm wearing a Batman hat right now. Oh, this good, is it. good. It's, it's just Bane and Batman in the back of a van. <laughs> just when I thought we weren't going to get arrested, <laughs> we're now Bane and Batman <laughs> talking to random D three kids. Oh my god. <laughs> But let's Incredible. let's let's bring let's bring this back on track. Um, look at so looking back at some of the uh, some of the more prolific uh, schools and and w- you know what do we think this conference only schedule is going to do for ratings? Going to do for viewership? I mean, do we think it's going to drive? Do we think it's going to drive essentially ratings up that every game is essentially a, a rivalry game? I mean, how do we think that's going to affect gambling and, and the sports book? You know, do you think they're going to essentially profit off that because of A, there's been a lack of sports in general, and B, there's all this hype now around a, a conference only schedule? Yeah, and, and I think this is a good time to not to give investment advice, but invest in gambling, especially sports gambling. Because invest in gambling. Mm-hmm. That's what I do yeah. at the tables. Well, well, I mean, invest in the stocks of the public oh. companies. <laughs> that was insane. Roll I thought out the you, savings account. <laughs> I thought you were giving no. a hot tip for Ohio State to cover the spread at minus three. No, no. The idea was find like Penn National, not to reference Barstool again, but like find find the companies that do online sports gambling and go big on them because I think I think one and and I've already seen this with what ESPN's doing like Formula One is not covered in the United States I watch Formula One we watch since last year we've watched pretty much every every race on TV as long as it's at a reasonable hour but it's like they picked up Formula One and now are broadcasting all the practice races, all the qualifying, the, the actual race itself, and they have the whole weekend. Because I think everyone's just like, fuck, we need live something. We don't care what it is. And I think the viewers are in the same boat. They're just like, how many times can you watch the Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl highlights or hell, even the full game over and over and over again? It's like, 
at some point you're like, okay, I get it. This is, this is, you know, the pinnacle of sports. We need to move on to something else. Let me get in on something live. So I think what we're going to see with the TV uh, side and, you know, the streaming side, whichever you want to look at it, they're going to try and fight tooth and nail to cover these sports and make them, you know, these games and make them nationally televised if they can. Yeah, I'm still going to stand by the, uh, the ideology that <clears throat> when it's a sure thing, gambling is actually investing um, and there's no risk to it whatsoever. The stock, the stock market's a risk. You're talking about <laughs> stocks. You're talking about reading charts. That's a risk because let's be real. Nobody knows how to read that. I don't care who you are. You know that only computers can do that, and not even them because they're the programs are written by man. But when you got a sure thing, and you know a, you know a kicker's gonna miss miss wide left, and you call you call the bookie. There's five seconds left. He's 45 out. And you got that feeling. That's investing. So that's <laughs> I'm going to stand by that. And you could you could take that to the bank. And and you think about it. It's investing in yourself because that's your exactly. Call. You know exactly. the odds might be set by, but that's your call. So why invest in a random company out there when you can invest in yourself? Exactly. And speaking of taking that to the bank, you can take this first ad read to the bank. This ad. This ad. Me. Oh my god. This episode is brought to you in part by teaching hospital our diagnostics department is guaranteed to leave you feeling better but also definitely worse about yourself soon you'll be popping pills just like our doctors so please donate to us and donate to a cause all right uh creep of the week <laughs> creep of Oof. the creep of the century getting right in Mark's, there mark zuckerberg with this sunscreen man i don't think it's enough i don't i don't think he was pre- i think he needed some more <laughs> So, so it's, it's, I mean, it is 100% nightmare fuel. Let's just get that out of the way. Um, and, and for our viewers who might not be up in, on the, uh, the latest Zuck news, just Google, uh, Zuckerberg sunscreen and you'll, uh, you'll be able to follow along. But the first, the first thought I had when you brought this up was, uh, can Mark Zuckerberg technically be a creep if he's not human? Like if he's a robot, is it creepy or is it just like what he's what he thinks humans would do? Is he trying to be more yeah. like us? So he he's just he's just that that person trying to assimilate, but just like doing a terrible job at it. And you know, you pat him on the back for like, hey, you tried, you know, you you did your best. Oh my god, I I don't know what's better, this or the smoke and meats video. Like this is just, I think I think Mark Zuckerberg might not be just this oblivious to society and I think just he's trying to provide the internet with content to Mm. fuel Facebook traffic like what if he's trying to become a meme himself that way Facebook just becomes more populated with Zuckerberg memes that's absolute that's absolutely brilliant I never that's some 4d chess and (laughs) and, and I'm, I'm gonna add to this the first time I saw this picture I, I didn't believe it was him because I was just like, all right, somebody just like photoshopped it. The other part of it is I'm looking at the application of the sunscreen. Sorry, there's two more parts. I'm looking at the application of the sunscreen. It is like 
perfect to where like you know you would stick a face onto a robot so i think <laughs> either either it's sunscreen or he's like you know some kind of bioorganism where he just like rips off a layer of flesh and he does it while he's in the ocean and he's just regenerating it back and we just caught him at the wrong time because he looks surprised he's like oh fuck why is there somebody with a camera in the middle of the ocean i thought water was bad for robots unlike me and the last thing i'll add to this was the first time I also saw this picture, I thought he had a gun. No fucking lie. I thought this was like Mark Zuckerberg trying to be Tom Cruise or something because I'm looking at it now and it's definitely either a gun or some kind of phallic shape. And I just I, I went for gun because I was just like, yeah, Zuck, yeah. Zuck doesn't seem that tight. We're, we're a family friendly podcast. Mm hmm. <laughs> and so that's why I went with phallic. So. What makes me a little more uncomfortable was the first time I saw this photo, I didn't notice sunscreen. I immediately was drawn to the center of the photo and I just thought, Zuck is thick. Like he fills out those shorts. Like where did that come from? I mean, damn. He, he must be working out with Gronk in the off season. Gronk's looking lean. Zuck's looking thick. It's just like, you know. Oh, so Zuck's Zuck's going to be out for uh, four to six weeks. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We'll talk about that in the next (laughs) section. But 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 in all honesty, I think maybe maybe that's what he did. He just used the Facebook campus as his personal gym. He was just like, fuck it. Like, let me let me deadlift a server. Let me, you know, hop into the squat rack with these two routers. I got it. Let me only do deadlifts and nothing else. Make sure not to work my calves, shoulders, quads, anything but my glutes. Yeah. He's just, he's just, he's like the opposite of, of all the, you know, people, those jocks that you see at, at, at Lifetime Fitness doing, you know, bench press for 70 reps and, you know, one, you know, all day, every day, not just Monday. He's the opposite of that. He's in there for leg day, Monday through Friday. Oh, I'm just silenced by just the, I, I we we need to we need to switch over to uh yeah. to, the, to the actual time I can't I can't keep looking at this photo I'm gonna have night I'm gonna have nightmares over him just <laughs> that white stare just piercing my eyes but um onto onto the actual uh, technology topic of the week was the uh, if anybody doesn't know Twitter was hacked in a major way and basically everybody with a blue check mark. Um, was hit and basically it was the uh, it was the deal of a lifetime as every major influencer offered uh, offered the public the opportunity to double their money quick by sending over uh, sending over Bitcoin and they'll immediately double the returns uh, upon receipt. So first thing I got to ask D-Town, were you were you were you a victim to this scandal? Yeah, my my blue check mark account was I was definitely a fucking victim. I don't even have a personal Twitter. I have it for for my small medium sized business, and even that is like three <laughs> followers. So I was definitely not a victim in the hack, and I was definitely not a victim in if I saw Bill Gates tweeting out, "Hey, send me send me a thousand Bitcoin. I'll send you two to three thousand back." I'd be like, all right, fuck off, Bill. You have enough money. You don't need me to send you money to give me money. Oh, my God. I just I just love how essentially the way this scam worked was we basically asked the public to send decentralized currency that's not in circulation and recorded via like 
any government entity or track. It's it's all decentralized and encrypted, and then send it to a non-traceable of, uh, address where there's no record of the transaction except for a hash. But we're I, on the honor system. We're giving you double your money back, and they the scammers got over like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Like there were a bunch of people that, and and for those who don't know, you can buy Bitcoin in like. 0.00 like percentage of a bitcoin so like i would love to know how many people actually fell for this other than the raw number because if you're if you're figuring like you know the average you know joe the plumber sent it home and send five bucks and get 10 back for them to get hundred and fifty thousand dollars, they had to they had to basically trick all of uh all of 45's voter base <laughs> all of 40 oh, wow that's that's a hot take too <laughs> Uh, yeah, and the side note, people say that we use hot take too much. Fuck off. We'll, we'll use hot take as much as we like. Yeah, we don't which, need that as feedback. Which one of our three listeners gave us this feedback? The kicker. <laughs> uh, we'll leave it at that. We love you, but but don't tell us what to do. Um, no, but, but, but you know, it's, it's honestly interesting, and I think, you know, I, I think this kind of goes to that realm of maybe people don't really understand what Bitcoin is. I feel like even though we had that huge spike in, you know, the valuation of Bitcoin, all these cryptocurrencies a couple of years ago, even then, I don't think people understood then what they were. And they were calling it investments, right? It's not really investments. It's like saying, I'm going to go buy, a, you know, $1,000 worth of uh, of yen because that's my investment. You don't you don't really invest in cash like that unless you throw it into a savings account that you think the value of that currency is going to go up against the the U.S. dollar or wherever you're doing it from. So I feel like people never understood what they were doing. Well, is this even a, is this? See, I wonder if this is even more of just a lack of fundamental understanding of Bitcoin and the blockchain and and all that, or. Is this just like general ignorance around being scammed? Like, how is this scammed. any different than a guy on the corner or the Nigerian prince? This is the exact yep. same premise. It is the Nigerian prince. Send me, exactly. Send me $1,000. Once my money is not tied up, I'll send you 3000 <laughs> yeah. It's like, if it seems too good to be true, it's 100% too good to be true. And just because it's like this new trend that people don't understand, they think it's like, oh, it can't be a scam. I'm gonna get point. I'm gonna get 0.5 Bitcoin profit by sending the Cash App 0.5 Bitcoin. <laughs> Cash App, if yeah. you want to sponsor us by, you know, exonerating you from this scam, please send us money. But that's mm-hmm. beyond the point. We accept Bitcoin. Yeah, and 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 that's it, it's it's painful to watch. As and I think it's probably the same for you as people in technology. It's just like. You know, you see that, and, and and maybe it's just because of the way we've we've been trained by the companies we work for, or just we've seen the you know the obvious attempts that our security teams have tried on us, like Joey Tribbiani sending an email. I still will never forget that, and it's like I had never even watched Friends at that point, but I was just like, isn't that the fucking same name as that act the character? <laughs> and it was just like, you know, you, you you almost get trained for it. So I feel like maybe you know it, it's it's still that time where people don't really understand the internet people don't understand what an obvious scam is well and that's that's an issue especially if you look at today i mean we're really in an age where influencers are reaching a broader subset of the society than frankly 
local politics and, and, and politicians on a national level, like the internet is no longer a luxury and a, and a nice to have. It's, it's essential to everyday life. I mean, you know, we're at a point now where technology is providing more secure means than the other ways of doing things like online banking is more secure than paper banking. And, and it, you know, we spoke about this in, in episode two a bit on the individual user and, and the, the individual's responsibility to, you know, control what they're doing and, and what they're consuming online. But I think, you know, the, people need to have a heightened sense of awareness around their online presence, especially, you know, how influencers are running the world and, and in this age of like deep fakes and scams where it's becoming harder and harder for someone who's who's ignorant to any of this and how technology works to discern what is a scam from what is reality. This, I think, was was, was an obvious one. But if you yeah. look at the way, you know, some of the more savvy scams and some of the more savvy hackers are are um, social phishing and, and things like that, I, you need to be, have a heightened sense of awareness around this the same way you look to, to protect your physical assets and, and physically protect your home. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, I think that might be a good segue is like, you know, uh, into how to protect yourself. And you talked about physical assets. So it's like, imagine somebody <clears throat> walks up, walks up to your door, knocks on your door and says, Hey, give me a thousand dollars right now. I'm going to go back to my car and I'll give you $3,000 in five minutes. Like, would you ever do that? No, no one would ever do that. That's just wild. And even if it was Bill Gates, fuck, I know he's the richest man in the world and he probably has that much money on him at any given moment. But there would still be that doubt, like, why would I give you $1,000, right? Like, why do you need it? Just give me the 3000 now or show me the 3000 now. So maybe if we extrapolate the offering online and just imagine somebody knocking at your door and saying the same exact thing, the tweet, the email or whatever it is said, and imagine a person doing it, then that might help some of the people who aren't as tech savvy understand what to look out for, or where to say no. Yeah, and I think I think you know if you look at one of the actually the the more consistent and longer running scams. I don't know how familiar you are with tech support scams, but those are there's a lot of those yeah. are frankly industries you know out in parts of India where uh, you know it's it's basically a fraudulent uh, Microsoft support center. And they build they build a full on website, they register an LLC, and generate like fake. You know, some of them even go as as far as generating enough fake reviews where they have like an A plus rating on the Better Business Bureau. Yep. So like it's it's becoming tougher and tougher to really discern what's what's fact and fiction. Yep. Yeah, agreed. And, and and I think, you know, we can we can help open this world up by maybe explaining to some of our listeners what is Bitcoin and what is a blockchain and it's not a bunch of Legos stuck together. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a good direction for you, Cold Bell, but I think that might be a way to help our listeners out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and I think this is this is really, you know, a, a quick pat on the shoulder to uh, to ourselves that we're looking at our demographics and we're looking at who's listening to our podcast. <laughs> and given that there's a significant portion of our listener base that is 50 plus, I think this is a good time to uh, give a quick BTC or Bitcoin and Crypto 101 and, and really... Everyone's talking about Bitcoin, and it's and it's not a gold coin with a with a B dollar sign. And I just let's get that off the uh, let's get that off the record. But um, really, what it is just essentially is a decentralized currency. It can be spent like any other cash, 
but it's non it's it's not um you know recorded and it's not governed essentially by by any government entity it was developed by uh satoshi nakamoto who frankly might not be a person it might be a group of people it was really never identified who it was but it really came out of the cyberpunk era in the 90s and it was really established as a means of distributing funds securely and independent of any government interface now this absence and of of tracking by a centralized entity is really where i think there's this colloquial concept that bitcoin is untraceable and inherently used for illicit or illegal means. Now, while it's very true that Bitcoin is essential in many illegal transactions, I think there are many, many um, legal and, and what's where I'm looking for, positive means where Bitcoin could be applicable. If you look at some countries where hyperinflation may yeah. be an issue, I think Bitcoin is a good solution and a good alternative um, to their economic state. And I think one of the greater technologies that has come out of Bitcoin that can be used for applications outside of cryptocurrency and transactions is the blockchain, which is really um, an algorithm um, and distributed data structure for really managing this electronic cash without a centralized administrator among people who really know nothing about each other. So it's essentially a mesh network made up of thousands of nodes. And these are people who opt into this. So if you ever hear of people who are mining Bitcoin, what it really is is they're participating in the blockchain and they're allowing their computer and the processing power of their computer to be used as one of these nodes in this network to essentially validate these transactions. And what that means is it's essentially performing a mathematical hash to ensure that there's no duplicate record and that this transaction has not been performed previously. And essentially, there's a block, which is a, uh, a set of recent transactions. And once that block has been validated, it's then added to the chain or the ledger. So if you think about it and you really want to boil it down, the blockchain is nothing more than an encrypted decentralized ledger. So, you know, that was a very, very sky high overview. But I, I really hope that does kind of demystify some of the some of the verbiage that we're using talking about Bitcoin and talking about blockchain um, because it can be confusing. And, and I do think scammers try and use this um, complex nature of things people may not know and target people who are not familiar with this because you see you know, how many people are becoming Bitcoin millionaires and, and how many people mm -hmm. got in on Bitcoin early, whether it was mining or, or buying five Bitcoin when it was still like $1.77 back in 2000 and 2008 or something. And they're millionaires now. So now someone sees, oh, give me half BTC. I'll send you back a full BTC. It's like, oh, let me <laughs> jump on this. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I think the, the biggest thing that most people should understand about not just Bitcoin, but blockchain is there's so many applications outside of just cryptocurrency. Yep. The, the general idea of an encrypted ledger that's decentralized, it goes beyond the ramifications of cryptocurrency, goes to cybersecurity, goes to even to the point, to the point where online banking could become more secure by uh, you know, adhering to some of these things. Medical records, same kind of concept. 
and identity theft, same thing. So it's it's it, it, it the whole idea behind using blockchain is not just in this world of using it for a cryptocurrency. And I think that's what a lot of these people who hype up these currencies and not to say hype up because there's nothing to there's a lot of excitement behind it. But what a lot of people drive towards is, is a look at the technology that's being created to use this coin or use this currency and that's a lot of it you know ripple is a big part of that too is how do you speed up foreign transactions mm-hmm. that's a whole problem that ripple is trying to solve using decentralized currencies that's almost pegged at a flat rate that people can understand and you can do trans foreign transactions faster without those foreign transaction fees so it's that's really the whole world that that you dive into with with blockchain yeah i mean there's there's a reason why companies are essentially creating positions just for folks with a knowledge of blockchain there's really no direction um, right now on how these companies are going to leverage the blockchain and use it, but they just want to start scooping up the talent of people who are familiar with how the technology works and how to leverage it. And they're essentially letting these people in these undefined roles define the future of blockchain within that company. Um, it's, it's, it's a great spot to, um, to be in if you are familiar with it and you understand how it works. And, and it's going to be interesting to see over the next, what I think, five to 10 years, how companies in the mainstream start to leverage this technology, which is really in a niche position right now. Yep, agreed. And and unlike the next sponsor, if you send us half a Bitcoin, <laughs> we won't send you any back. This episode of Bourbon Glaze Nonsense is brought to you by Wayne Enterprise, working on the cure to defeat COVID-19 by becoming the virus ourselves. One way to avoid becoming the virus is to send us money. Donating to Bourbon Glaze Nonsense won't contribute towards virus relief, but will make our wallets fatter. All right. So so I, I know we're going straight into gaming here with Madden, but I, I, I want to say that, you know, first two episodes, we've talked about Call of Duty. We've talked about our stats. And, you know, Cold Bell saw my clip that I posted on our Instagram <laughs> was like, fuck, let's not talk about COD because... Oh, fuck, I said my own name. Just bleep it out. Uh, D-Town is out here actually putting out, tossing out 200-meter-plus dank snipes, and I'm intimidated. So that's how I'm going to start with pissy, you know, pissy D-Town here, but we'll go into the Madden ratings anyways. I did wet myself when I saw that clip, so yeah, we couldn't talk about COD this week. But yeah... Yeah, I, I, I need to talk about the Madden ratings, and I, I, I know a bunch of people have seen, or you know, some of our demographic has seen recently, you know, the big announcements around the Madden 99 club, who's in, who's out, and, and there's been a lot of debate over the Madden ratings. Um, so I think we should just start off with, with talking about the 99 club and, and really start from the top down, so who's in it? And for those who don't know, the Madden 99 club is every year... Um, when the Madden ratings or the individual player ratings are released, the 99 club is really um, for those players who receive a 99 overall. And it's typically anywhere from four to seven players a year. Um, this year, there's there's five players in the 99 club. So it's Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Donald, Christian McCaffrey, Stefan Gilmore, and Michael Thomas. Now, right off the bat, I agree with four of these. And I aggressively disagree with one. And I think I think D-Town, I think we're in the same boat on this, particularly around Michael Thomas not being a 99. 
and not being the top receiver. So I'm going to start right there. I think he's good. I think he's a top receiver, um, easily top five, arguably top three. But I don't think he has the tool set and the versatility to be the top receiver in the game. Yeah, and 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 not to be disrespectful to my, Michael Thomas, he is a monster, and and he proved that last season. But I think the biggest thing you need to look at is who else is in the field, and and if you look at all of the other position players, Mahomes, Donald, McCaffrey, Gilmore, they are pretty much unanimously the best in their position right now. With McCaffrey, maybe you know there's there's a question mark around other other players, but McCaffrey was literally the whole Carolina Panthers offense last year, receiving and and rushing. They're, you know, that they, they couldn't really do anything without him. So, I, I that's why I think he hit 99 for sure along with his ability and 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 skills, but I think if you look at receivers, and and I, I I'll, I'll throw out a couple names here, and I think you you agree with a few of them. DeAndre Hopkins, I think we we agree is the best receiver. Hundred percent size and speed. I think he's Michael Thomas, but faster. And I think that's the big thing that Michael Thomas is missing. He's big. He has that ability to be kind of quick off the line and jump off that you won't expect. But I don't think he has that breakaway speed always. And that's where I think the number two receiver for me is definitely going to be Tyreek Hill. Because I would drop, I would much rather throw to Tyreek Hill, even though he's short, he has a decent jumping ability. And in third place, in fact, I would say Amari Cooper is a better receiver than Michael Thomas as well, or fighting for that third position because his route running ability plus his acceleration and his his hands, I think he might be the most complete overall receiver other than Michael uh, other sorry other than DeAndre Hopkins. So that's that's a bit different than the top I have. I think I think we're we're in agreement on DeAndre Hopkins. I think, like you said, DeAndre Hopkins is very similar to Michael Thomas and having speed and and size or having just size and strength and and a little more speed than Michael Thomas but I think his his downfield presence is there well I think Michael Thomas really strives on the short game and I think he had he is big he is physical I, I think he's a better version of like Mike Evans but I think Mike yeah. Evans even has more of a downfield presence, but that I'm going to get that 50-50 ball. I'm going to go into traffic. You know, Drew Brees isn't afraid to throw it across the middle when Michael Thomas is running across, but that's really it. Um, DeAndre Hopkins has that downfield ability, so I would I would actually contest your top five and, and where Michael Thomas sits. I would say DeAndre Hopkins, number one, agree with you. I would actually put Julio Jones at number two, um, put Tyreek Hill at number three, and then Michael Thomas is at number four for me. Um, followed by Devontae Adams. Yeah, the only the only thing I'll disagree with Julio is I think if he, I don't know, I feel like the Falcons are so forgettable sometimes, especially because Julio just, and I don't know if it's Matt Ryan, I don't know if it's offensive coordinator, but just that touchdown production the lack, sorry, the lack of touchdown production is really what I'm saying. Is is that's why Julio? I often don't think about him in the top five because you think of all the others as just stat monsters, yards, touchdowns, you know, yards per catch, downfield uh, throws, and it's just like Julio always eludes you because what was it like? You know, I think uh, I think Matt Ryan was 
probably throw through like 20, 30 touchdowns and only about, you know, 10 of them go, go to Julio. And even then, a lot of those are at the end of the game where it's just like he has to throw it up 50-50. So I don't know if it's offensive play calls or if it's, you know, Matt Ryan. But Julio, I think himself is a phenomenal receiver, but his production doesn't always carry over for some reason. Well, I mean, we we both know that the Falcons don't play in the fourth quarter. So fourth quarter, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, they just aren't on the field during the fourth quarter. But no, I, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, Julio's touchdown production, especially in the red zone, is is not at anywhere near an elite level. I guess I'm just looking more... Because, I mean, you're forgetting, this is a guy who had 300 receiving yards in one game like two years ago. I think he has all the tools. And we're, when we're looking at like a Madden rating system... You know, there's obviously they. I think they tried to put in some sort of clutch factor, swagger factor, um, a couple of years back. But just from raw ability and and tools in the tool chest, I, I would still put him up there at number two. Yeah, but so the only thing I'll say is like, look at Calvin Johnson. Right, I think Calvin and Julio are very similar players. Really big guys who are way faster than they're ever supposed to be. Both of them with 300 plus yard receiving games. And, and the thing I'll say with Calvin was he was always consistently getting touchdowns, whether he's hurt or not. And, you know, he's banged up for pretty much his whole career with the Lions. But I just pulled up Julio's stats real quick and not to be a dick to you. Last three seasons for touchdown receiving touchdowns, Julio in 2017 onwards, three, eight and six. And I don't think that makes an elite receiver. And again, I'm not putting it on him because I think he has the ability I don't think he's getting the opportunity for it. Yeah, and that's a, and that's a good point. The the only thing I'll say there is, you know, you talk about Megatron. I mean, look how good Megatron was in Madden. So if that's a comparison you're making, I'm throwing a Julio every time if we're uh, if we're going Ultimate Team. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. I guess I guess Madden does take into more into account just the physical nature of things. But I also think there should be some part of it that, that takes into account how are you actually doing, right? It's like. Yeah, and Dominican Sue was a destructive force for a few years, but has he really been that phenomenal the last few years? Should he be rated so yeah. high? It, it, you know, it's, that, that's kind of the thing. So, um, yeah, that that's th- those are my two cents there. So you know, and you know, there's there's obviously debate over over who got rated in the in the higher club and shouldn't have been there. I think it's more you know let's let's talk about who got shafted, and there were a, a number of folks that I saw that were a bunch of head scratchers and you know just off the top and and you know you might call this a bias because I'm a Giants fan how is Saquon Barkley only a 91 like exp- explain that to me yeah but again this I think it goes back to that production thing it's like I understand he was the entire Giants offense practically but still it's like he has a gift he's athletically gifted but I still feel like you have to produce for a consistent amount of years for Madden to start saying, yet yeah, we'll bump, bump you way up. And I feel like Saquon still has a short history where they're like, okay, we're taking you from that rookie thing where everyone's guaranteed under an 80 and we're slowly moving you along the train, keep producing and you'll get there. So do you, th- <clears throat> first off, the one thing I'll say is, if you look at his stats, I think his I think his strength is like an eighty six or an eighty eight. <clears throat> Have you just? That's disrespectful. <laughs> 
But then if you look at like look at Nick Chubb. So I think Nick Chubb was taken same year as he is. Do you think Nick Chubb has had better production overall given the tools around him than Saquon? Just raw stats wise. Stats. Me, if if you're telling me it's fourth and ten and I'm calling a running play for some reason and I need somebody to break six tackles, who am I picking? Yeah. I would pick Nick Chubb. I'm not going to lie. Wow. I, think, wow. I think Saquon has more lateral ability. I think Nick Chubb is just a hammer that's fast. I don't I don't know. I think I think Saquon has so many more moves in space and I think Saquon is so much better as a receiver out of the backfield. I I I mean, you look at you look at some of the guys in front of him. Um, you know, they have, they have Christian McCaffrey as a 99. I, I would agree with that. You know, he's been, he's been nothing but production the last couple of years. Derrick Henry is the second best running back in the game. Again, I have to agree with that. I have to put Saquon at number three. I think he's in front of his, I think he's in front of Zeke and, and Nick Chubb. And I think, I think he got shafted this year. I, I, I think, I think the reason why, um, so wh- where do you put Derrick Henry then? Oh, I I, I think McCaffrey and Derrick Henry are one and two. And then you put Saquon number three. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. I'm trying to find broken tackle averages here. And then clearly Google (laughs) is not being my friend right now. Apparently Saquon had 94 broken tackles, according to somebody on Reddit. How much do I trust Reddit? My wife. So (laughs) let's just say that's it. And I think and I think Nick Chubb had somewhere in the 80s. So I, I think they're both phenomenal talents. I I don't think you can go wrong either way. I think I think that Nick Chubb might be more of what maybe if we want to call it a pure running back, where he's he's more of that person who's just you know head down gonna truck you. He might not be the most elusive Barry Sanders type. I think Saquon has the ability to be somebody like Barry Sanders, who I personally think was the best running back to ever play the game. But I think Saquon still has a lot more power than Barry did because Barry would just dance people out of cleats. I think Saquon has the ability, but there's so much more power there that he's a little bit less agile because of those quads, which, you know, <laughs> you can't, can't blame 80, them. 86 strength. 86 strength. Yeah. Yeah, that's disrespectful. That's that's really disrespectful. That's like saying Julio Jones' speed is eighty six. Like, I mean, if you want if you want to talk about disrespectful, I think giving Deshaun Watson an eighty six overall is criminal. Is absolutely criminal. He's only two. Mm -hmm. He's two points above Dak Prescott. The the. I mean, we all know Dak Prescott's going to sign a contract next year for $120 million a year, hands down. Like, don't get me wrong. He's worth, he's worth every penny to go 10 and 6 every year in the easiest division. Um, you know, Jerry Jones and his lizard eyes trying to – maybe that's why because his eyes are so wide set that he's seeing in like super stereo vision. That's why Dak seems good to him. But Deshaun Watson, game after game, just gets beat up. He has no line whatsoever. He had no running back last year, kind of as that safety blanket. I, you know, you want to say he has <clears throat> DeAndre Hopkins and, and Will Fuller, but I, I think he's one of the best playmakers in the league. Obviously, he's not a yeah. Patrick Mahomes. He's not a Russell Wilson. But for him to be sub-90 behind guys like Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers, especially since, in my opinion, Aaron Rodgers has dropped over the last couple of years, I, I think that's, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I honestly would, you know, and I'm looking at this, I think Mahomes clearly number one yeah. um, in, in the league right now. Russell, I... I I, I get it. He had a phenomenal season last year, and and I think you know the only thing that kind of screws him over is just sometimes they don't produce as much in the playoffs and mm-hmm. and, and the postseason. So I, I understand. I think Russell Wilson is is a huge asset to the Seahawks. They would not be as good as they are without him. And then I would honestly put Deshaun Watson right up there with Lamar Jackson at that kind of ninety three yeah. ninety four range. Where you got, you're not, you didn't have that superstar season in terms of getting a Super Bowl or you know crazy stats, but you know I think what will be interesting is if Deshaun Watson has a has another monster season without DeAndre Hopkins, considering if as long as Bill O'Brien doesn't sell the stadium or something or <laughs> sell the grass, as long as that doesn't happen, I feel like Deshaun Watson could line himself up to be like, hey, fuck you, Madden, like I'm producing without. <laughs> the number one wide receiver what do, what do we what do you want me to do now well what if bill o'brien is is having the same thought that we are and he's actively trying to isolate deshaun watson and saying hey madden ratings adjuster i'm just going to get rid of all our weapons to show <laughs> you how good deshaun watson is like he didn't prove you apparently he didn't prove himself at clemson when he drove down the field on alabama to win the national championship he didn't prove you coming in the league and, and having consistently great years. No, I'm just going to get rid of all of our good players to show you that Deshaun Watson can play with you know fourth graders in the JV squad of some uh, some shit school in Iowa. Well, th- that's where you're wrong. If if they have a great season, it's going to be David Johnson, hundred percent. Exactly, David Johnson. It's exactly all David Johnson. That's what Bill O'Brien's going to be like. He's just going to be like, you think you think DeAndre Hopkins was doing well? You think Deshaun Watson's <laughs> carrying us? It's fucking David Johnson. You got the wrong D, guys. Come on. Got the wrong D. Hell of a phrase. Yep. But I think, and and we alluded to this a little a little earlier. One thing, and I think possibly the most criminal. You know, whether it be more egregious than the Saquon rating, more egregious than than Deshaun Watson. Let's take a look at Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was rated in 94, third best quarterback in the league. Rob Gronkowski was retired. He was mm-hmm. partying and on Fox Sunday Night Football showing up at 225, 50 pounds below playing weight. Man walks in rated a 95. Yep. What's That's, wrong? What do you mean, what's wrong? The MVP is the MVP of the league set records that no quarterback other than him will break for years to come. And we're going to say a guy coming off the couch is a 99 in Madden. If Rob Gronkowski coming off the couch is a 95 in Madden, I want that couch. I want to sleep on that couch and see what happens. You know, here's where I think they're going to differentiate themselves. And I'm looking at their stats right now. I'm looking at kicking power. And it's twenty two to it's twenty two to twelve, right? You know, Lamar Jackson's out there with his fucking skinny ass legs looking at a kicking power of twelve, and Gronk's got that fucking monster leg at twenty two for his kicking power. Considering that Travis Kelsey has a thirty five kicking power, I don't know how there's this, you know, a thirteen point I don't even know why they even incorporate these things. But back back to my point. Here here's what I will say. I think that Lamar Jackson has the potential to be Michael Vick 2.0. I really do think he has that potential. If not the better. One, if not better. That's why I'm saying 2.0. You know, 
obviously there are personal things that would make him better too, but <laughs> neither here nor there. Don't go um, there. I won't. But he did his time. Um, going going down the, the 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 stat comparison of what Lamar Jackson did his rookie year to his sec- into his second season, it, it is obviously clear how much better he got. Right? You know, it's almost a ten percent bump in in completion percentage, uh, over double the yards, thirty more touchdowns. Right? It's it it got way better. He he did it big time. The and again, I'm going to go back to this. It's a consistency thing. It's one year, right? How many, and you know, obviously I'm not going to remember any fucking names off the top of my head, but there have been a lot of people who have had breakout years, but that doesn't automatically justify them being elite, especially because we saw how much Lamar can struggle, right? And And all credit to him. He put in a lot of work. He got a lot better. But I will say... If I was a defensive coordinator going against the fucking Ravens, Lamar Jackson's a factor and probably the biggest one, but the biggest fucking pain in the ass is that weird triple action mess shit that they do because you got potential for run left, run right, run middle, you know, fake down the field drop, uh, you know, short drop for the tight ends. I think the biggest problem with defending Baltimore is is the fact that they can go so many different directions and it is key that Lamar Jackson's part of it, but I want to know if he can do it consistently. That's my biggest thing against him. Gronk year in and year out has been the best receiver the Patriots had and the second best when uh, when Aaron Hernandez was on the team, but neither here nor there for that part too. But right now, if you wanted to have a tight end who who was uh who's you know in the who's played in the last few years i think other than travis kelsey i really think gronk is gronk is your man so i think my my issue is not so much with lamar's rating i think like you said there's a lot of parts of his game that can be exploited and just to set the record straight the triple action uh it's just to clarify it's the triple option um and absolutely i need to defend it it's it was the it was the staple staple of old white guy football so we need to we need to give it the respect that it's due it's be it was the it was the pinnacle of offense before football got fun to watch but that 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 point aside i i mean i agree with you that when gronk was in his prime and healthy he was a specimen and the best option that the patriots had you look at players today i don't think he's he should be that highly rated. I mean, you look at, you look at, you know, and they have him rated third behind George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. I agree with that. I don't think Zach hurt. I don't think Zach hurts is five points lower than Rob Gronkowski, who just took a year off because Rob Gronkowski even self-admittedly is not coming back at the size he did. He is a, he is a, a toned down from a physique standpoint. He's, he's slimmer. And if you look at where he ended two years ago, he was primarily a blocker. So he's, lost a step after all the injuries. I don't think he's where he was when he was as productive as he was. I don't think um, the playbook this year is going to bode well to kind of the Gronkowski down the field, you know, where where Brady can just loft it up and throw it between cover two or, or read the defense and find the, 
find the opening for Gronkowski. And I don't think he's going to be the blocker he was in in kind of the slimmer down self he was. I think it's it's an absolute overrating. And I would even say, is he a ninety? In my mind, no. I think he's he's potentially wow. okay. he potentially guy, guy took an entire year off of football. I'm entire year through. we. We don't know what he's been doing. We don't know what he's been doing. I mean, do you think now this this may this may be, you know, bias is coming out, but if you're telling me Rob Gronkowski, not under contract, retired, off to do whatever he wants, you think that man's doing anything athletically productive whatsoever? Oh, yeah, I think I think he's working out for sure. Because I mean, you see him. He looks I, I agree, he's lost weight. I think he's much more toned down. But that's the thing is I think what Gronk needed more than anything is one. One, I think he did need to lose weight because I think his, as big as he was, I think it was too much for him. His, his, you know, skeleton to, to take to be that big and that large. But I think the other thing is, I think he fucking needed a year off. I think he just needed to stop playing football. I think he needed to clear his freaking head, be Gronk for a year. How much out, clearer can it fun. get? There's nothing in there. <laughs> No, but I know I, I I understand that, but but that's the thing is like you know I think he he is going to have a much different role in the Tampa Bay offense considering they have three very good tight ends right there OJ Howard Gronk and I'm blanking on the third guy uh, Cameron Brait so you know I think they have three great tight ends and I think what you know the Tampa Bay staff has decided by keeping all three of them is that because Gronk's smaller, you don't need him to pass block because OJ and Cameron Brait are two pretty big guys and they're pretty good at pass uh, at sorry at run blocking and pass blocking where you need them to. I think Gronk is going to almost be that third receiver for them that's just going to be what are you going to throw at him right it's the same thing is it a safety is it a nickel if you have all three of those fucking tight ends on the field how do you do it you can't cover them all with linebackers so it's, i think it's going to be a problem yeah but oj showed oj howard showed he is a viable receiving threat and you know when you when you take an entire facet of one guy's game away it becomes predictable and I think, you know, if you look at towards the end of, of Gronk's stint with the Patriots, the better blocker he became, I think it improved his route running because he wasn't just a receiver. And and that's what I think, the, you know, kind of if that's the route they go in Tampa Bay, if he is only on the fielder's receiving option, it completely shuts down any opportunity for for play action passing for him down the seam, which is what he used to live off of in in New England. That was one of his his most uh, um, uh, successful routes is when he would you know draw the linebackers and the safeties in blocking and then spin and 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 you know trickle out after two seconds. If he's not able to block and he's not able to to return to that blocking prowess that he had. A couple of years ago, I think that shuts down a significant part of the pass game. And when you have that viable receiver in OJ Howard, it even begs the question: Is Gronk the number one option? Well, in in terms of receiving, I I, I still do think so. You can't you can't say I know OJ Howard's good at receiving. I know Cameron Brait is good at receiving. I think if you really need of all those three players to have one person make a catch, you really think OJ Howard or Cameron Brait's going to be better than Gronk? I just think, I just think a year away 
a year away doing non-football and doing yoga in the park and and drinking on a boat. I just think I I think that's that's going to have a tremendous impact and I think a lot of people are underestimating um the the impact that that's going to have on his season. All right, let's make it interesting because we've gone on this for a long time. Barring any major injuries, I am willing to throw down 50 doll hairs that Gronk is the leading receiver of the tight ends of all the tight ends in the NFL or just on the on the no, of, of of Tampa Bay they have three that he can't he can't lead lead all of the all of the, the NFL well I was about so, to say I was about to take that bet in a heartbeat there's, there's no way he can lead the NFL but I mean in, I almost I almost I almost kind of throw you know you say barring injury but that's part of the game I think that's part of one of the things and you know this kind of this kind of leads into the debate of you know gr- greatest tight end of all time. You know people are throwing his name out as as Canton first ballot, and you know is he the greatest of all time? I think the ability to stay on the field, and this is kind of when you look at like the Tony Romo argument, the inability to stay on the field actually I think prevents you from being in that greatest of all time category. I don't think so. I mean, like you, you talk about what you do on the field, not off the field, right? And it's not not a matter of, oh, you know, you played twenty seasons, but you know, three of them you were hurt for. I mean, who the fuck cares about those three seasons? As long as I think, as long as you put in ten solid years of production, doesn't matter how many years you were out for. Same with Tony Romo; he had ten good years, right? And then he just fucking shattered. So, so based on that, would you consider Frank Gore or Chris Johnson a better career running back? I don't think Chris Johnson had ten good years. I but really he, don't. Frank he has Gore, the, he has the single Frank season Gore, record for scrimmage yards broke by Marshall Falk, and then he had the you know he he almost broke um, CJ two K. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, so okay, but that's the thing is he didn't have longevity. That's a part of it, right? He didn't have ten solid years of production. He had what maybe a three four year burst where he was pretty much a monster, and then there was nothing. It's just kind of like Priest Holmes, right? You remember that name? Priest Holmes just came out of fucking nowhere. Was great for a few years, and then I don't know. Kansas City moved on from him, and and and. Sp- you know, you had you had ten other Dexter McCluster and people start taking over, and it's just like he disappeared because you're not productive for a long period of time. You know what? I'll I'll amend the bet that you made. I'll say I'll put fifty doll hairs down that Gronkowski is not a top five, not in the top five for receiving yards for tight ends in the NFL. Top five. See, it's just like there's so many. There's there's three big tight ends there. It's just like. And then you have the, you know, and obviously we're, we're forgetting the other fact of having, uh, oh my God, I'm looking at the tight ends and I'm thinking Zach Ertz, but Mike, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on that team too. So it's like, that's a lot of mouths to feed, which is the only thing I'm, I'm concerned about, but looking yeah, at Yeah, but if you look at, run, look at the tight end in the NFL, there's yes. only like seven real receiving threats. There's Kittle, Kelsey, Ertz, then Evan Ingram. Austin mm. Hooper is is very hot no. or cold, you know. He, he's not going to do. He's in. He's at the Browns. Exactly. Exactly. Jared Cook can come out of nowhere, but I think yep. Jared Cook is inconsistent. So he's going to have a two hundred yard game. I think. No. I think that top that fifth spot is up for grabs. Yeah, 
You know what? I'm I'm in. I'm in. All righty. We'll, 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 we'll make it live. But a little will, virtual will, high five. Yeah. yeah. Social distancing. Spin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I will give you this. And, and you know, I was, I was doing this just out of curiosity. And I think you think Jerry Rice, is that, is that right? You think Jerry Rice is the greatest receiver of all time? I think Jerry Rice is the greatest receiver of all time. Tony Gonzalez, okay. best uh, tight end. Okay. Well, I disagree on both, but Tony G, oh I think currently God. is the best. I think Gronk has a few more years to put in, but I think he'll go ahead. I think Randy Moss was the greatest receiver ever. Um, and wonder and why. Here's, here's why. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, and and I'll say I have bias, but I liked him. I liked him at Minnesota. I liked him at Oakland, even though he didn't really do much at Oakland. But here's what I'll say: Deion Sanders said. Jerry Rice doesn't beat you for touchdowns. Randy Moss does, and that's who he had a he who you'd worry about more. So, you know that that's all I'll say. The greatest cornerback of all time was more worried about somebody else. But anyway, yards per reception. Who do you think has has more yards per reception? Between Moss and no Jerry between, Rice, gr- between Gronk and Jerry Rice. Oh, it's the fact that you're asking is probably Gronk. Yep, Gronk has more <laughs> yards per reception, yards per game. Is it is it Gronk? No, Jerry Rice has seven <laughs> yards per game. I, I, I figured I'd make it a somewhat of a fair fight, right? All right, catching percentage. I mean, what what do we define? Are you talking about like drops? No, no, uh, receptions divided by targets. Oh, it's got to be Gronk because Jerry Rice probably targeted way more times. Yeah, it's it's sixty five percent for Gronk, um, and sixty three for Jerry. He fucking sucked. It was actually sixty two. I rounded oh, up for him. Dog fucking shit. Sc- absolute absolute trash. Absolute trash. But that's what I'll say. All right. Last thing. Yards per target. Ooh, that's a tough one. It's got to be pretty close. The only reason I would give it to Gronk is because Gronk again, like I said on the play action, would leak downfield. Gronk is practically at 10, 9.9, and Jerry Rice is at 8.4. So that's what I'll say. I'm, I mean, and I'm not saying that Gronk and Jerry Rice are, are the same people, but that's what I'm saying. You have a tight end producing wide receiver numbers, and, you know, Gronk has had, what, eight, nine-year career. I think if he puts a couple more years in, I think... Yeah, but you're also, you're, also, you're also looking at two different eras of the game, you know, you look at when Jerry Rice played, it was still very run heavy and it wasn't the air raid downfield uh, um, push that we have today. So I think the play style was also much different that you got to take into account. The fact that Jerry Rice had those numbers just consistently at that time is, is um, in a different era of the game is, is something, to, uh, something to keep in mind. Yeah, I feel like that's the same same thing when people say, oh, well, you know, Bill Russell played in a different time than Jordan and Jordan in a different time than LeBron. Only one of those people had won, you know, 13 championships and has the NBA championship named after him. So Bill Russell is the greatest NBA player of all time as well. Well, we've hit our NBA quota for the year. <laughs> so on that note, let's uh, let's go on to our next ad read. This podcast is brought to you in part by viewers like you for just a simple small donation of half a Bitcoin or five cents a day. You could help two struggling podcasters educate themselves and actually learn what it is to run a podcast 
and possibly just become more professional so you can enjoy what you're listening to. Please consider donating. Thank you. And on to our last topic of the day, our lifestyle section. We're going to be talking about work from home. It's something probably everyone is sick of talking about. Um, And frankly, offices are actually talking about people coming back in the office. So pretty much on par with this podcast and how unprofessional we are, we're going to talk about work from home as work from home is pretty much starting to come to its initial phase of closing. Mm -hmm. But... um, this is this is an interesting one, and it's it's interesting because so many people have had so many different experiences in in work from home, and I think you know as we've as we've been working from home, and how many times can I say that the last couple months, I think you start to learn a little more about your coworkers by like yep. what you see. So I know for a lot of us, when we work during the day and we have we have conference calls, a lot of us are, are on video. Some of our companies really promote being on video, whether it's you know part of their culture or things they sell, so on and so forth. But I always love looking at people's backgrounds and seeing yep. like what's what's in the back of them, and it's it's almost makes uh, makes the day a little more uh, a little more enjoyable, especially because people start to realize, especially on my team, the age difference of where yep. I am versus where they are. <laughs> yeah. So. So you know, I'll I'll hop on with three people, and one person is taking it from their uh, from their like foyer or one of their uh, one of their many family rooms with pictures of their kids and their parents and their in laws in the background, and I'm in a one bedroom apartment, and I have <laughs> the open door to my bathroom in the background because the only <laughs> other alternative is my Xbox and TV or my kitchen. <laughs> So it's a pick your it's a pick your poison because I'm like oh I can shut the door to the bathroom, um, but then I just sometimes forget to, and I'll hop yeah. on with a manager and he goes uh, hey cold bell because that's what my manager calls me is that a is that a toilet in the background, and I go <laughs> yes why yes it is, so detail what's what's in your what are people learning about you, uh, what's in the background of your video on calls. So I, I, I've strategically placed myself in, in 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 the bed. You know, as as we moved home, I, I expanded the home office. So it <laughs> used to be a bookshelf full of all kinds of stuff, and uh, um, now I've I've transitioned into having more of a home office where I've occupied a bedroom upstairs in our house. But I've strategically placed my iMac with with the webcam focused directly you know from my left side looking to behind and to the right of me because I have two things there I have my dog's bed so I figured that's more entertaining than anything I'm ever gonna say and if I say anything wrong I could just be like oh look get distracted by my dog and then the other thing is a window that looks into my neighbor's house so I think that's what they're learning is that you know I'm on the second floor of a house and um, and the other thing that they can get a little view of is I have a I have a black whiteboard behind me that I sometimes whiteboard on for, for some some of my uh, some of the customers so that's that's really they're not learning a lot and I like to keep it that way I like to keep it kind of deceptive like who is this guy so you went with you went with that black like glass whiteboard, right? Yeah, and with neon markers. Yeah, so you you like to give the impression that you know what you're talking about without actually mm-hmm. saying it. Because I've actually I I yeah. love those. They're they're they look incredible. They're sleek. I have never seen whether it's a an online video like a video on demand or or a live seminar. 
I have I have yet to see someone write anything of actual substance on one of those boards. I've seen so many agendas. I see so yep. many people hop up on those light boards or those black, you know, neon boards, yep. and they write their agenda, and then you see a smart guy like pan over to a to a true whiteboard. And I, I don't I don't I don't <laughs> know. I think it's like <laughs> I, again, it's not being a, not being right, an asshole, but right through, uh, yeah, fuck, it's, fuck the consultant. <laughs> he doesn't know shit. It's it's almost like there's something in the pigment of what colors that board that like the higher IQ you have, the more allergic to it you are, or <laughs> or wow. maybe maybe it's because when people who who like are very technical were in a lab their entire lives. The, the brightness of a whiteboard gave them hope that that's is that what the is it is it sunny out because we have no windows in here so I'm gonna pretend this is a light source uh, I I don't know but there's just something about that black that black whiteboard it, you can't even say it right it's a black no. white what is it a blackboard because that's that yeah, you know, there's is, chalk on but it it's not chalk so it's, it's an oxymoron it's a glass it, board it, uh, that's what I call it so uh, but but yeah, welcome to the roast of D Town. But <laughs> the 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 side note I'll have, which I wanted to comment on, was you know talking about different parts of life where you're at, and you know you and I being the same age, and generally working with customers and clients who are much older than us. You know, sometimes double our age plus. And, and I was on a call recently, and I joined a little bit early. And the project manager on the call happened to be, and you know, we're chit chatting. How was your weekend? Type of thing. And he's like, "Oh yeah, I just celebrated my my daughter's birthday. She just turned somewhere between the age of 21 to 30, because I won't give Oof, my age. That's a tough and one. I, and I was I was just like, oh, she was born in the same year as me. And he just goes, oh. I always wondered how old you were, but I didn't want to ask. And I was just like, <laughs> ah, that's a great feeling. And and yeah, it's it's been awkward ever since. So that's, that's I been I've had experience. so I've had so many people because it's almost like that's that's the only reason I see people having kids now is that it's it's small talk <laughs> in in professional kids. in professional <laughs> life. It is the basis of a conversation, sir. Oh, how are things going? Oh, well, Junior's Junior's really hitting the uh, the leather off the ball, and oh my God, <laughs> little little Cindy just had her third ballet recital. Oh, we're ten minutes in. Looks like we have to get started. I mean, I can't walk in and say, "Hey, Mister Director, uh, you know, really hit a new hit a new KD uh, on COD. Like came came in second in Warzone. How about you? I can't tell you how many times I have considered starting a fake family just to like. <laughs> just to relate and yeah. this is this is when i start to really get in the depths of my mind and realize what a horrible person i am because i start thinking and like creating backstories for for my wife and my children and i start mm-hmm. for some reason it's always tragedy for some reason junior <laughs> always gets killed off in like a skiing <laughs> accident or hang we're very active we're very active we're doing activities we're taking trips we're trying new things but one of my kids always dies so, oh, man, I, it, it takes That's a hard a left turn there. So, obviously, you can see that I then just sit in the meeting quiet and don't talk about the death of my <laughs> false <Say> child. <laughs> 
Yeah, and 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 that's that's why you know I think you you're talking about sitting there and being quiet. I think I've I've gotten to that point too, where my age is just going to become a mythical thing, where I'm like Creed from The Office, where if somebody <laughs> asks, I'm 35. It's like you know I can run for president, and that's all you need to know. But yeah. I can't. But age wise, I, I I can. So that's that's what I'm just going to go with with the de facto standard. But I don't know if it's the same thing for you. I feel like in our industry. in in networking i feel like for whatever reason age is always associated with like your knowledge and your experience and i had this happen to me and you know in presentation i'm doing I, i i presented on current kind of future bleeding technologies of software defined worlds and everyone on the call was guaranteed 40 plus years old and it just went over their heads for the most part because they didn't really know what questions to ask and that's what I felt and it was just like I feel like we're getting to that point in our industry at least and I don't know if you feel the same way where it's almost like you need older people to talk to older people but we don't have anyone really else to relate to unless one of those people decides to dive back into technologies and learn more and get themselves re-educated recertified so it's almost like that badge of honor I'm 45 years old and networking. Ah, oh, you went through Y2K, me too. And I'm just like, I was shitting diapers still back then. Like, you know, or I was in kindergarten or I was in middle school. Does You don't know my age, but you know, those are the thoughts that go through my head. I'm just like, wow, this is, this is just like, this, this is, I don't want to be offensive, but like shit, maybe I should be older for that reason. You, you just need to start every presentation you have with OK Boomer colon <laughs> and then like the tight oh, – my Google thinks I'm talking to her. So that's, uh, that's great. The professionalism of this podcast is second to none. That being said, I think we should move on to the, uh, the unholy trinity uh, for this week's session. So it's going to be the unholy trinity – um, of conference calls at work. So I don't know, Cole, but uh, D-Town, Jesus Christ. D-Town, if you want to uh, kick this one off. Hey, it's, at least, it's at least better than saying our real names, which I think we should start like a swear jar for. Or just we should. Like ask, ask our six viewers, who do you think fucked up more? And it's always, always going to be me. That's just an easy, <laughs> you know, it's like throw $5 on that every week. Hit the over. I'm always there. Yeah. Um, so I think I think this one hits home to me a lot because this the, the project I've been working on has just been nonstop meeting after meeting and we're finally winding down. But not being at your computer for a last minute meeting or, you know, a meeting that just gets thrown at you. And I can't tell you how many times I've I've had to, you know, do this, you know, roll out of bed, seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning, get yourself ready. You check your calendar the night before, you check your calendar as soon as you wake up because you're like, I know someone's gonna throw something at me. And it's just like, I always have my hand on the shower handle, just turning the hot water on. And then it's just like, get six different pings, text messages, IM messages. Are you joining? Where are you? We're waiting for you. And I'm just like, why, why, why are we doing this now? Who needs to have a discovery call at eight in the fucking morning? Like, can we have coffee, please? Like, can we just start our lives? But that's a, that's a painful one that hits home to me a lot. At least in that scenario, you're at least in the vicinity of your computer. The worst part is, let's say, let's say you go to sleep and it's midnight and your first call is at 9 a.m. So you think, okay, got a tea time scheduled for 6.10. We're going to play 9. I can be off by 8.30, and I'll at least be on audio. You wake up. You get to the round. Hole one, 
I have had this happen. Hole one at 6.10, I got a call put on for 7.30. What are we doing here, people? What are we doing here? I've, I've, done, I've made the mistake of taking the call from the course and I've, I've, I've had both ways happen to me. I've, I've been very present on the call and I shot 75 over. Like I stopped keeping track at, at hole three. I've also done the flip side where I said, fuck it. I, you know, it is what it is. And I've had, I've tried to tell people, oh, I'm going so-and-so. I had to run somewhere this morning. And they're like, is that a lawnmower? Oh yeah. You know, it's, they're doing yard work. Did someone just yeah. yell four? Yeah. There's four lawnmowers. So yeah, just not the, the last minute. Like why is anything ever that urgent? So yeah, that's, Yep. That's that's number one. Um, so I'll, I'll take number two, which this happens to me a ton getting called out for this. But the host or anybody on a meeting demanding that you turn your video on because you're the one asshole that is doing audio only <laughs> for a noon meeting when you have still not gotten yourself ready for the day. So like I I think myself more than anybody has taken work from home to heart and like work from home is like you should feel like you're at home and you're comfortable. So if I have a call at nine, I'm getting up at 8.57 and I will be prepared and ready for my day by the end of the work day. Don't, <laughs> yep. don't tell me when to get ready. You, you are not my, you're not home with me. And then it's like it's 11.58 we hop on and it's like, oh, uh, you know, cold bell, why don't you turn on that video? Well, my hair's like sticking out at 12 and three and I've had the same t-shirt on for the last four days. Do you really want this? And it's, it's never, you always have to find some reason. Like I mm-hmm. work in networking, but my network is never good. I never have, <laughs> somehow I never have, I never have four megs of upload to send my video out there. I have gig internet, but gosh, Darn it, it's never good enough to get that video out there. So yeah, happens on like a fucking daily basis. Yeah, and that's that's why I, I have like seven hats dispersed nearby <laughs> just in case somebody's just like, hey, can you hop? And you know, obviously with the way my hair is, there's only two modes that I wake up in with my hair. It looks the exact same because of all the product I haven't washed out of my hair. So I'm kind of okay, but then you get those wild hairs. And then the other one is I just look like a fucking cockatoo. My hair is just <laughs> straight up in the air, flopping around, and it's just like... If you and, and you know, and it's 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 to the point where people have noticed. They're like, "Oh, you like to wear hats a lot," and I'm just like, "Piss off! Let me do my <laughs> thing, man!" Like, we don't need to draw attention to this. Just we we all know alone. we all know why you're wearing hats. Don't be the asshole yeah. that calls attention to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, all right, and the the last one because this 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 happens happens a lot to me in in not the not safe for work portion of this but you know kid dog or something or the other doing something that's not safe for work in the background you know and I don't know if it's not safe for work but for whatever reason my dog just likes to groom himself in his privates like as soon as I hop onto a call it's just like it's just like second nature he'll hear the noise of everyone saying hey how you know how are you guys doing and then he's just like you know white on rice he's just all over it now's the time to bathe bathe my myself and clean myself off and it's just like that awkward thing of I see it in the video people are like making that kind of laughing but like can you make that thing stop and I got to turn around and be like hey 
stop it, stop it, stop it. And obviously you never, never ever remember to mute yourself before you do that. And somebody's like, what the fuck's going on? And you know, by that time you've already lost it, lost the locker room on that call. So, yeah, I, I think, I think my favorite, see, I, I have no issue with the dogs doing anything in the background. Cause again, I, I'm a firm believer that dogs are better than people and can do no wrong. I just love when people's out of control children just come out of nowhere. Like I'm talking, it's always, they're always three. They're never four-year-olds because four-year-olds yep. know how to be quiet. And like yep. two-year-olds are apparently immobile and mute. Like it's always, <laughs> they're always three years old. That's apparently the magic age where kids can walk and talk at the same time. It's fucking magical. And they just come bursting through the door during like a presentation on like yep. OSPF. And I'm like, oh God, here we go again. And there, you know, it's always the, the inevitable, Oh, let me turn my mute. Let me turn my video off. Let me go put them back down. And there's like 20 minutes wasted. And the first thing I think to myself is, wow, if that's not an advertisement for birth control, I don't know what is. (laughs) That's incredible. And yeah, I, I think that's about, I had, uh, on my call, uh, one guy's grandson playing with a cat in the background and putting it on top of his head, which was just incredible. Oh, like everyone Jesus. was just like, and luckily it was at, like at the tail end of a call, so we were we were kind of good with it and already you know trying to start logging off. But it was just like that was the epitome of like everything that could go wrong went wrong in that exact moment. Oh my god, well, let's put a uh, let's put a cap on this bad boy and call that the. Uh the unholy trinity of conference calls at work before we lie to our viewers anymore about how long this uh, this episode's going to go. All right, folks. This is going to wrap up episode three of Bourbon Glaze Nonsense. Just want to thank everyone for hanging in there with us. You know, we really hope that you're having half as much fun listening as we are recording this. I think... D-Town and myself are figuring out just a little a little bit more about ourselves every episode. So hopefully, hopefully by season two, uh, we'll have this whole thing called podcasting, this whole thing called life figured out. So uh, to all six of you out there, thank you and uh, stay frosty. <laughs>